Welcome to Adra Insider, where we share insights into Adra's work and the people behind the work that we do. Today's episode is in recognition of World Environment Day, which is on June 5th. And as my guest, today I have Avish Raj, who is the Associate Director for Programs at Adra Canada. Welcome, Avish. Thank you so much for joining us on our Adra Insider podcast. It's a real pleasure to have you here because I'm, I'm very excited about what you're going to share with us today. It's going to be the topic is climate change. And uh, just from what I've watched with you over the years, I know this is something you care a lot about personally, and especially how it pertains to Adra's work. So welcome and thank you for coming. Thank you, Heather. And uh, I count it as a privilege to be talking to you on this Adra Insider. I'm wondering a little bit about you, who you are, where you come from, how you ended up at Adra. If you could fill us in a little bit about who Avish is, that would be really great. I am an Indian. I am married uh, and I have three beautiful daughters and I did my college in Pune in a very well-known college then and now it's an university called Spicer Adventist University. Uh, I did my bachelor's in theology and then I did my master's in religion from Andrews University's extension program in Spicer. And I started my ADRA work as a field assistant and then moved as an ME person. Um, and then um, I enjoyed working with ADRA Thailand for over three years before I joined ADRA Canada in 2015. Mm. Okay, so let's let's just dive right in, I think. Um, Tell us about climate change. How would you explain that in layman's terms? There's a lot of science behind it. For some people, it Mm -hmm. feels like a highly political term as well. But just neutral Mm -hmm. layman's terms, how would you explain what climate change is? Um, There are two key words I would want us to uh, understand. There has been a long-term shifts in temperatures that you see. And we also see that there is shift in the weather patterns as well. And I don't have to even justify that because you would see that in everyday news. Mm-hmm. People are seeing this. People are witnessing to these drastic shift in weather patterns. Mm-hmm. So when we say climate change, we are actually saying that there is a shift in the temperatures and there is a shift in weather patterns And this is alluded uh, to uh, natural phenomena, like, for example, sun flares. It's Mm -hmm. a natural cause. However, the scientists have been tracking and recording these changes, um, uh, especially in 1800s onwards. Mm -hmm. So when they look at what is transpiring Uh, compared to pre-industrial and post-industrial, they're seeing significant shift. And it has been tied to human beings, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. So it's it's cumulative over time, right? Is what I'm hearing you say, like actions of industries, actions of individuals and systems over time have been accelerating this shift that's happening. So where does that place us today? You know, you said they started measuring in the 1800s. That was Mm -hmm. a good time ago. Now we're almost a quarter of the way through the 21st Mm -hmm. century. Where are we today in this in this shift? And and what what can we expect to see coming down the road? What we are seeing right now, the world governments 
are maintaining the status quo, which means they are not doing much about uh, being more energy efficient. They're not doing much about moving to alternate energy like solar, wind. If they continue to maintain the status quo, if they continue, if there is a continued demand for energy, um, which is being actually fueled by coal, oil, gas, and all of that, what we are seeing is actually a rise in temperature by 2,100. It would increase by 3.6 degrees Celsius. Now, that simply means that we would be putting in to the atmosphere, into our environment, close to 90 to 100 gigatons of carbon emission uh, in the atmosphere, which is what will drive this shift and drastic increase in the uh, Celsius by 3.6. And if you want to convert that into Fahrenheit, it would be 6.5 Fahrenheit. Mm -hmm. So basically what this means um, is not a good news for mankind. It, it is actual, actually an existential threat, I would say, mm -hmm. if this continues. Um, according to the science, they say if this continues with the 3.6 as a trajectory, we would see Arctic sea ice is gone in two out of every three summers. 50% of insect species lose 50% of their habitat range. And you would also see droughts becoming 11 months longer. Hmm. And Canada is no new to fires, what we saw in McMurray and some other parts of BC. So these things are going to get intensified. Mm -hmm. What this basically means is loss to human life, loss to human property, damage to economy. So the science says the next 10 years is critical, mm -hmm. according to the uh, IPCC reports. Um, it's very clear that governments around the world, people, nations need to come together to find a solution to this evolving crisis that we're seeing day to day. It feels enormous. Like what could one single person do to help avert the, the disasters or to help slow the climate change? Like I'm not in the government, I'm not at the United Nations, mm. but what can I do? Is there anything I can do as an individual? Like what's my responsibility here? At a personal level, we need to start asking, okay, then what should I do? For instance, um, I just want to pose this question to you. Um, if you were driving your car from your home to office, and you realize that, that there are two other friends in the same locality going to the office. Uh, would it would it uh, be ideal all of you together travel in one car as opposed to three cars driving to the same location while there is enough of space still mm -hmm. in your cars? Mm -hmm. Imagine yourself in a shower. How long do you, how much of water do you use in the shower? Sometimes personally me, I feel guilty. Wow. Am I taking 15 minutes, 20 minutes? How much of time is really required for me to actually conserve water? Mm -hmm. Sometimes we take these small things as a luxury and take it as granted mm -hmm. um, um, and not pay attention to it. Look at the food. How much of food do we waste? Mm -hmm. Look at our food habits. For instance, how much of resources does it take 
to eat meat as opposed to how much of resources would it take to actually for a plant to grow. The science says that the resources needed to actually the animal to grow, it's far, far greater than what a plant would require. Mm -hmm. So if you shift from animal diet to plant diet, you're actually alleviating a lot of stress on the nature. Mm -hmm. Uh, There are many little things that you could do. You could also be an advocate. What you know, you can share with others. Mm -hmm. Sometimes the word of mouth is more powerful than the research document and the thesis and so on and so forth. Mm -hmm. So the word of mouth, if you're convinced others, you have better chances that you can convince others. What about your church? How much, how many of your church members are really um, paying attention to the climate change? Mm-hmm. Um, how could one at a personal level contextualize this climate change uh, to the pastors, to the church leaders? What mm-hmm. language do we use with them? Mm-hmm. Do we use like mitigation, adaptation, climate change? What about using the word like caring for the environment? Mm-hmm. And if you look at uh, the Seventh-day Adventist Church's uh, doctrinal belief statements, we have clearly articulated belief statements, and one of which is focusing on stewardship. Mm -hmm. Can we focus on that as opposed to saying climate change Mm -hmm. and and uh, all of this? So there's so much that we can do at a personal level, and the list is endless. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would encourage everyone to just step out of this and reflect and see how you can become the catalyst mm-hmm. in, in sharing uh, this um, imminent um, crisis that is evolving. Mm-hmm. For sure. If, even if something feels enormous and like your individual actions can't turn the tide, I believe that we still have a responsibility to do what is before us to do. And um, thank you for sharing those very practical suggestions on how we can do that. It's um, something to think about and also to explore other ways that we can um, contribute to stemming the tide of climate change. What are some of the other impacts that uh, climate change is having on people that we aren't feeling but that are certainly happening? Right. One other example that I can give you, imagine people who are having farms along the riverbed. Mm -hmm. Their whole livelihood depends on those farms. And now because of uh, the flooding that takes place, all of that farm is now inundated with water. Mm -hmm. Uh, Now, hundreds of households, their food is dependent on that farm. Their children's school fees would come from selling those yields. The houses they lived in, because of this flooding, it's gone in an instant. Mm -hmm. Um, So Mm -hmm. their livelihoods is gone. They get into negative coping strategies. Now they don't have money. What would they do? They start borrowing. In some context, they start begging. In some context, they would send their children as human slaves flesh trade, people eating less meals if they're used to eat three meals because now that they don't have food, they would just have one meal a day. Mm-hmm. Mothers, lactating mothers, they would need nutritious food to produce good milk for their uh, less than five-year-olds, but they can't afford it because of this loss and damage. So the list goes on with the mm-hmm. challenges and troubles. Mm-hmm. So you've got famines, you've got flooding, you've got uh, sea level rising, and it has its own consequences 
the acidification of the sea as well because of uh, climate change. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the point I was really trying to drive home, and, and I think you did it, is it's not just 50% of insects lose 50% of their habitat. It's not just we no longer have Arctic ice. We're talking about mothers, fathers, children whose lives are directly and negatively impacted by this right now. And it will only continue to get worse if we don't take action. Um, Exactly. Yeah. So I'm wondering if you could tell us a little bit now about what is ADRA doing to not only help these people who have already suffered the effects, but is ADRA doing anything to make them stronger or to maybe locally try to turn the tide somehow what is adra doing exactly when it comes to climate climate change right so um my answer here would be perhaps twofold looking at climate change response from adra network as a global strategy mm-hmm. and also uh, looking at how adra canada fits into that strategy and what steps have we already taken and would be taking going forward uh what has happened of lately, I would say, in the last one year, while the pandemic was on, um, a group of interested people from different um, um, supporting ADRA offices and implementing offices came together, and, and also the regional offices came together to try and uh, grapple on what can ADRA do in the realm of climate change. Mm-hmm. There are three key areas what ADRA would be focusing on. One is on the leadership. The second one is on the programming. The mm-hmm. third one is on the advocacy. Under the leadership, the, the, the goal there, the objective there is that by 2027, 100 country offices will have implemented green accountability plan, which simply means we understand how much of carbon we are emitting. We would measure it and we will know how to reduce it. So we mm-hmm. are accountable. We should be accountable for how much of carbon you emit. Mm-hmm. So that's the goal. Number two, under programming, um, uh, you know, um, uh, under that pillar, by 2027, 100 country offices have integrated nature-based solutions in all the development and humanitarian programming. Hmm. Now, this word might be a little bit more technical, nature-based solution. It simply means you have a challenge which is caused by climate variability. Let us say um, in a coastal area, because of high uh, sea level rise, the water just comes in on land and floods. Now, when we say nature-based solutions, so we are trying to identify a solution which is derived in the nature, Mm -hmm. which means what about planting mangrove trees? Mangrove is nature. Mm -hmm. So you're not inventing a mechanical machines to do that piece of work, but you're identifying a solution which is there in the nature because mangroves have higher capacity to build that natural barricade that Mm -hmm. can, you know, uh, withstand the uh, water getting into the inland. Mm-hmm. So that sort of thing. So the idea is that 100 country offices would have identified nature-based solutions that could be integrated within their existing programming. And the last one is on the advocacy piece. We are saying by 2027, 100 country offices will have coordinated, sustained, and 
influential climate justice and advocacy campaign hmm. now these two these are bigger words climate justice and advocacy campaign to break that down simply means you are voicing out against the injustice caused by all that we see uh, caused by the climate climate change related issues and challenges there mm-hmm. are people suffering so we are voicing out together with coordinated uh, you know approach lobby with the government saying that people need their justice mm-hmm. uh, they their rights needs to be heard because they have been impacted by climate change so that sort of thing so these are three key pillars at the global adra level but at the adra canada level we also have a climate change working group under cfgb which i am also part of along with my good colleague salil batarai um we are also part of c4d which is climate um change coalition uh, a platform where many ngo civil society organizations are part of it in canada mm-hmm. we are part of that to understand learn and share what's happening with the climate change we're also trying to now um put in place um the climate change policy i believe this policy is uh, yet to be approved by the board which basically says that any programming at the operational level at the project level international or national we will try and sensitize ourselves our teams to understand what climate change is how it is impacting our programming and what could we do to adapt to make changes in our systems and practices so that mm-hmm. we become accountable mm-hmm. so that we don't put people in the community at harm so that sort of thing will be dealt within uh, this policy and that gives us a mandate to move forward and implement those things Mm-hmm. yeah and apart from that we're doing a little bit of small sensitizations and trainings um you know within our smaller teams with colleagues one on one to understand what climate change is i just wanted to back up a little bit to the notion of climate justice um it's a very interesting phrase putting those two terms together and as i was thinking about what you've shared so far about how climate mm-hmm. change is impacting small farmers impacting mm-hmm. families whose livelihoods depend directly on the seasons mm-hmm. and and rainfalls and things um it's very sobering to think that my lifestyle like you said which i take for granted um combined with industrial nations lifestyles and systems is negatively impacting these people who don't have the same resilience to withstand those shocks as I have. And I, is that what you mean? Is that kind of the direction of what climate justice is saying is like these people who are suffering the most from the change are contributing the least to the drivers of that change. And is it just kind of people Exactly. standing yes. up and saying seeing... this is This is me. This is my responsibility. I need to do something about this. Is that the notion behind climate justice? Yes, that is mm-hmm. part of the notion. And uh, the other aspects of that is actually pushing the donors and the governments to meet their own commitments. Imagine you have this a uh, very good-looking strategy and good-looking action plan. in the end if you do not have resources 
how could you you even you know address those uh, challenges mm-hmm. so one way is to push the governments, ask them the right questions, sensitize them, bring them into dialogue, you know, push them to release more resources so that they can um, meet these challenges. Like you were mentioning, a lot of people who have been affected by climate change are the least contributed to those things. Can you share a couple examples of what ADRA is doing to address climate change? So we saw many offices are already doing climate change related activity as a cross cutting issue, Mm -hmm. uh, which means that, uh, let us say, their main focus is education, but then climate change is a small piece Mm -hmm. that is being addressed. For instance, maybe educating people on climate change, maybe asking the students to plant trees because Mm -hmm. the trees and plants absorb carbon dioxide and they store deep down in the ground. It's a natural process. Uh, perhaps teaching them how to save water as a component, uh, mm-hmm. water harvest. So that sort of thing. So many offices were doing uh, a sort of a cross-cutting type of activity, but we saw few offices who, who focused heavily on climate change actions. The whole project is designed around that. Mm-hmm. Around that, for instance, what Adra. Uh, Mozambique did. They mm-hmm. specifically did an assessment in the Bay Area in Maputo region, understood the challenges along the Bay Area, uh, tried to work with the uh, um, fishery department and the fishermen and women there um, and people who were heavily dependent on the uh, natural resources like forest and you know forest products and wood, um, all of that. So helping them to identify alternate livelihood activities so that they Mm -hmm. don't use the resources uh, from these parks, national parks or forests. Because if they cut down the forest, the repercussions of that is increased climate variability in the Mm -hmm. the immediate or long term. So helping them to meet their livelihood, but then also trying to protect the national parks, protect the forest, Mm-hmm. And uh, that that sort of thing. Waste management is also a key component in most mm-hmm. of our programming, uh, especially the programming which is linked with wash, water and sanitation, mm-hmm. where people are taught how to collect the waste, how to manage it, how to dispose it, how to recycle it. Mm-hmm. So in cases where the plastics are used, sensitizing the community in a sense that they could use those plastic products for the domestic purpose, for example, to collect the water or to grow a plant mm-hmm. as opposed to just throwing them in the garbage. Mm-hmm. Another very interesting project where ADRA through the community in uh, Mandera, which is a northernmost part of uh, Kenya, it's very interesting to see how uh, we are working with the community to rehabilitate a re- degraded land Mm. that's that's again a nature-based solution what Mm -hmm. we're trying to do is um, in order to help households to meet their livelihood needs uh, plus um, to help their animals uh, to have healthy nutritious food we started with an approach called as farmers managed natural regeneration process wherein in agreement with the communities, they start fencing the land so that that land is protected from overgrazing or haphazard grazing by animals. Mm -hmm. And then that land 
for the first time, uh, what they would do is they would broadcast um, a, a specific type of grass, wherein they, it allows, you know, that particular land which is untouched, then allows the seeds to grow, and they would have plantation in abundance mm -hmm. for their animals uh, uh, through a proper um, grazing mechanism, as opposed mm -hmm. to sending their animals here and there and start eating all those things and when everything is over they start moving beyond those lines into different communities causing more problems with the other communities and causing some conflict towards the end of the project i believe they had rehabilitated close to seven or eight thousand acres of land and also when this grass is no longer green they when they dry up they turn this into hay and fodder for these mm -hmm. animals to be fed when there is no rain. And as a result of that excess hay that they have, they would also sell it in the market to make more money. This was one of our most successful projects. When we left them after 10 years, the community is more resilient because they have new practices. They were women groups formed who would save money among themselves. They were animal health workers. They learned how to care for their animal and treat them. Mm. We also helped a few farmers to start their own small gardens that they can mm. grow vegetables. And we also worked with them in constructing about four or five farm ponds where the rainwater is collected in that uh, farm ponds and being used by the farms which are close by so mm -hmm. that year round they have they are producing something or the other so that year round they have vegetables in the community they always felt that uh, vegetables are just for the animals and not for people mm -hmm. in mandera community and now they appreciate what vegetables uh, bring to their households and the health that is associated with it the ripple effect from that you know barren land is now productive Fathers and sons don't have to migrate far from the women and children, leaving them behind to make shift as they can. Their animals are healthier, producing more, fetching higher prices. They can feed them year round. They're growing their own vegetables, having uh, the health benefits of that in their own bodies that they share through their stories. Women are owning their own businesses now, saving money, sending their children, their nieces and nephews, their neighbors' kids to, to school, even to university in some stories. It's just that project for me is amazing. It helps the environment and it helps the people. And it just keeps going from there. The, the ripple effect just keeps going. It's truly exciting, that one. So in the past, the phrase that we heard a lot was global warming. And in our discussion so far, I haven't heard you mention that you keep referring to climate change. So I was wondering if um, global warming is just not something we say anymore, or is uh, climate change just more in vogue? Or is there an actual difference between the understanding of those two terms? Yeah, that's a very good question. Um, and uh, the way I look at these two terms uh, is just like um, a cause and consequence. Mm -hmm. um, um, climate change is a result of global warming. Mm -hmm. um, when we say global warming, what it simply means is that because of the pollution, because of the carbon emission that is being created as a result of burning the dirty fuel like coal, petrol, gas, 
all of that emission is just getting congested in our atmosphere. Mm-hmm. The natural process is when the heat hits, the light hits, the warmth hits the earth, it ripples back. Something remains what is healthy for us, but mm-hmm. some of it has to go back. Right now, 2022, there is about 60 gigaton of carbon emission, which is congested in mm. this atmosphere. So what's happening when the heat comes down and hits the earth, it is getting trapped. Some of it is getting trapped because of this congestion of emission. So when it gets trapped and it is there's no place for it to escape completely, what happens is thawing of the earth, which is mm-hmm. what we call as global warming. Mm-hmm. Because that heat is being now say, accumulated because it's not escaping out of mm-hmm. uh, the natural process. As a result of this global warming, a thawing of the earth, there is climate variability. Mm-hmm. There is change in the patterns of temperatures, weather. So they are interconnected, but global warming, I would say it has a, as a cause and mm-hmm. the consequences is the change okay. in the climate. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, thank you. That helps a lot. I'm just thinking it's too bad there isn't a Tony Stark in real life from uh, Iron Man, because I'm sure he would develop this device that would eject the excess heat back into space. But uh, since he is highly Mm. fictitious, it brings us back to the reality that we each have a responsibility as individuals uh... and as countries. Well, uh, we should not lose hope. Um, uh, um, There is in the development of, um, uh, let us say, machines, which is now in the pilot phases. It's called as carbon capture and storage. Mm -hmm. These machines would actually capture the carbon emissions in the air and transport it deep down under the earth where it, it has been trapped under the rocks. Mm-hmm. So that way you're actually reducing the carbon emission. Uh, but again, on the other end, people would take a nature-based solution, which means they would enrich the soil by following mm-hmm. conservation agriculture, like minimum tillage, mm-hmm. um, you know, avoiding using chemicals and you know, cover crops, making those soils healthy so that it could capture the carbon emissions naturally, which has a huge potential because Mm -hmm. imagine so much of land people use for farming. Mm -hmm. And if farmers are sensitized and if we, if they learn how to maintain healthy soils, then more carbon that is outside is being naturally trapped, could Mm -hmm. be trapped in the soils. Mm -hmm. So yes, there is this uh, star, what was that star Trek sort of a, yeah, Tony Stark uh, kind of an Man. approach, which is yeah. in the making. Mm-hmm. But there is also nature-based solutions for the similar challenges, which mm-hmm. is more potential and more promising, I would say. For sure, because that could be replicated all over the world. Whereas with the special machines, you'd have to have the the resources, which I imagine expensive, they would be very expensive. Yes. yes. So I love that there are solutions within nature, within, for those of us who believe in the Bible, within creation itself. Um, If we would just look to that, study that, and then actually implement it. It's encouraging and inspiring to think that it could have a real impact. Human beings are uh, God's channel of love, number one. And human beings are supposed to take care of the natural world 
with the same compassion God has shown to them. And if you look at the Genesis story itself, when God gave the first task to Adam was to actually take care of the nature. And he mm -hmm. also gave an assistant to actually help him do that piece of work. So the man and woman, they have a key role in being good stewards in taking care of the nature mm -hmm. that God has given us. So that's a good stewardship. So if I were to boil down all of this climate change into just one single line would just be this. God has called us to be good stewards. And that stewardship applies to the nature. Simple mm -hmm. as that. Yeah, I keep thinking how, you know, you mentioned typically the understanding of what being a good steward means is giving your tithes and giving your offerings. But we were given the command to be good stewards before there was a necessity to give tithes and offerings. Like the original understanding of good steward was take care of my creation. And um, I love what you said that it's, it's deeply rooted in God's love. And that's where our roots are as believers. And that's where our responsibility is, regardless of what the trends are, regardless of what is happening. That's beautiful. Thank and how you. perfectly all of this fits into Adra's mandate, love, compassion, and justice. Mm -hmm. We could apply all of that to climate change. And it perfectly fits there as good mm -hmm. stewards. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Avish. I really enjoyed chatting with you on this. I learned a lot, and I'm sure that our listeners and viewers have as well. And I invite them to come to our website to learn more about what ADRA is doing for climate change and climate action, to get excited, and to just go on this journey with us of showing God's creation His love and showing people His love as well. Thank you, Avish, again for coming and being with us. It's my pleasure. Thank you, Heather. Mm -hmm.